The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. All right. Thank you, Miss Meg. Well, I invite your attention to Ezekiel chapter 10. That's page 697 in your Blue Pew Bible if you're looking that way as we continue our study through the, the uh, book of Ezekiel. And uh, Taylor, I think you prayed for it well. Uh, it's always an interesting book to go through and, and to be a part of. So uh, thank you for doing that. If you're joining us on Facebook Live, thank you. Glad you were here. If you're able to get to a church, please make sure you find a church home as you do. Ezekiel chapter 10. Well, uh, there's a story of three young fathers. It's not Father's Day, but uh, you can imagine a scene that looks something like this uh, in a waiting room. And, and I know this is back probably in the 50s and 60s. Guys don't dress like this anymore. and They don't have waiting rooms like this anymore. Uh, but the first was told that his wife gave birth to twins. And he said, that's great because I play for the Minnesota Twins baseball team. That, that's great. Next, the nurse came out and spoke to his second man, and she said, congrats, you're the father of triplets. He said, that's amazing. I work for the 3M, 123M tape company. This is amazing predictions. The next man fainted, and when he woke up, the nurse said to him, what is wrong with you? He said, I work for 7-Up, and I don't want seven kids. So, 
Patsy, I told you you'd like that one, didn't you? Yes. There are times when we think we have the right info and we really don't, do we? Sometimes things just don't work out the way that that was. And the man ended up having just one beautiful baby, according to this proverbial pastoral story. But Israel, they had people who were telling them all sorts of wrong information who thought they were right. They had people telling them, peace, peace, when there really wasn't any peace. They had people in Ezekiel, as we found, that were telling them, keep living your life. God's not mad at you. God doesn't care what is going through your mind. He loves you. Just keep doing what you're doing. While the reality was God was bringing the hammer down, wasn't he? And we've seen that for the last nine weeks on his holy city and his holy people. And Pastor Nelson, who's again on army duty this weekend down in Wichita, brought the word last week to that effect. God was going to clean house. Even if they fainted like that man in that silly story fainted, when they woke up, the same reality would be clear. That their sin and God's glory could never intermingle. And this reminds us of 2 Corinthians 6.14, a very famous verse we share a lot about when people are trying to date or marry someone who's not a Christian. But even more so, it says in 2 Corinthians 6.14, don't be bound together with unbelievers. But for, for what partnership has righteousness and lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness? So one of the great truths we learn is that the glory of God and the sin of man cannot be in the same roof together. When sin moves in, God's glory moves out. When sin moves in, God's glory moves out. When sin comes, when God's glory comes in, sin moves out. They can't coexist. They never can be friends. In fact, this is why so many churches, so many denominations get in trouble. Because when sin is tolerated, there's a greater loss of God's power. When sin is allowed, there's a greater loss of God's favor and God's strength. Let me just give you some examples. It starts usually with denying this is the Word of God. When a church says this is no longer God's Word, we start to lose everything else. We deny the virgin birth. We deny that Jesus died or if he even existed. We deny that, well, that resurrection must just have been a big symbol. We deny that Jesus is the only way to salvation. When we, when we do these things, the power of God goes out of the church, out of the ministry, and out of the pulpit. Whenever sin is tolerated, the glory of the Lord departs. When the sacredness of marriage, let's dig a little deeper, is denied. And I'm not just talking uh, man and woman. I'm talking outside of that, but I'm also talking about man and woman. The glory of the Lord departs. Whenever homosexuality is sanctioned among the clergy or a group, the glory of the Lord departs. We read that in Romans 1 this morning in part if you were in Sunday school. In every church and denomination and ministry where the purity of God's message and the, and the word are trying to coexist with the sin of the world, God moves out. You know, old song, hit the road, Jack, don't you come back no more, no. That's what happens when God sees sin. He hits the road, and he often does not come back. And that is, tells us how serious the cross is, that God takes every single sin of ours. When sin enters in, what do we do? And how does God react? We're going to look at that today. The big idea, if you're visiting, big idea is just a summary, the whole sermon. I've already hinted at it already. It's very simple. When sin moves in, God's glory moves out. That's what it is. This is Ezekiel chapter 10 in a nutshell. Every time we sin, we say that God's glory is not the supreme treasure that we have above all things. When sin causes us to forget God, we look to our little selves and think that our kingdom is better than his. When sin moves in, we forget who he is. So may we never forget what our sin cost us, our Savior, and what it means that we are separated from him outside of that Savior. So this morning, I want to look at three things that happen when sin moves in. And let me tell you, 
it's not all as bad as it sounds. In fact, God's sovereignty, God's power is going to shine through it all. And God's servants, although sin is in the camp, they're going to succeed and win. And even when sin comes in, God's going to succeed, secede. Did you get that right? That last S was tough this week. So see, Texas, you remember Texas, that big state that thinks they're their own country? You know that place down there? If you're from Texas, I love you. But it was, it was Alamo week this week when they seceded from the Union uh, and made their own thing. Well, that's what God's splendor does. It leaves when people try to do their own thing. The saddest verse of the Bible, one of these, is going to be in verse 18. With that in mind, if you're able, we, we stand for in honor of God's Word. If you're able to stand for the reading of God's Word this morning, we'll be in Ezekiel chapter 10. We're going to read the whole chapter. Uh, let's just take a couple minutes down to verse 22. Again, Ezekiel is in the midst of a vision that started in verse nine, or chapter 9. Pastor Nelson preached on that last week. And he continues this now as he is sitting amongst the elders, as he's in the midst of this vision, and he sees this. Then I, Ezekiel, looked, verse 1, and behold, on the expanse over the heads of the cherubim were above them something like a sapphire, in appearance like a throne. And verse 2, he said to the man clothed in linen, go in among the whirling wheels underneath the cherubim, fill your hands with burning coals from between the cherubim, and scatter them over the city. And he went in before my eyes, verse 3. Now the cherubim were standing on the south side of the house. When the man went in, and a cloud filled the inner court, and the glory of the Lord went up to the cherub to the threshold of the house. And the house was filled with the cloud, and the court was filled with the brightness of the glory of the Lord. And the sound of the wings of the cherubim was also heard as far as the outer court, like the voice of God Almighty when he speaks." And when he commanded the man clothed in linen, verse 6, take fire from between the whirling wheels, from between the cherubim, he went in and stood beside a wheel. And a cherub stretched out his hand from between the cherub to the fire that was between the cherubim and took some of it, put it in his hands, and the man clothed in linen took it and went out. Verse 8, the cherubim appeared to have the form of a human hand under the wings. And I looked, verse 9, and behold, there were four wheels beside the cherubim, one beside each cherub, and the appearance of the wheels was like sparkling burl. And as for their appearance, the four had the same likeness, as if a wheel were within a wheel. We've heard that before, haven't we? When they went in, went, they went, they went in any of the four directions, without turning as they went, but in whatever direction the front wheel faced, the others followed without turning as they went. Verse 12. And their whole body, their rims, their spokes, their wings, and their wheels were full of eyes all around, the wheels that the four of them had. As for the wheels, they were called in the hear my hearing the whirling wheels. And every one of them had four faces. The first face was the face of a cherub, the second face of a human face, the third face of a lion, and the fourth of an eagle. We're getting there. Hang on. And the cherub mounted up. These were the living creatures that I saw by the Chebar Canal. And when the cherubim went, the wheels went beside them. And when the cherubim lifted up their wings to mount up from the earth, the wheels did not turn from beside them. Verse 17. When they stood still, these stood still. When they mounted up, these mounted up with them, for the spirit of the living creatures was in them. Then the glory of the Lord. If you're an underliner, this is an underlining verse, a highlighting verse, in my opinion. Then the glory of the Lord went out from the threshold of the house and stood over the cherubim. And the cherubim lifted up their wings and mounted up, and the earth before my eyes, and they went out with the wheels beside them. And they stood at the entrance of the east gate, and the glory of the Lord of Israel was over them. Verse 20, these were the living creatures that I saw underneath the God of Israel by the Chebar Canal, and I knew that they were cherubim. 
Each had four faces, four wings, and underneath their wings the likeness of human hands. And as the likeness of their faces, they were the same faces whose appearance I had seen by the Chibar Canal. Each of them went straight forward. Sin has entered God's people. God has literally pulled up the tent pegs and gotten out of Dodge. It's a free-for-all. It's anarchy now within the house of God. But for these folks, everything seems to be peach keen and okay. Speaks a lot to our churches. Speaks a lot to us today. Will you pray with me? And we'll go through these three things that happen when sin moves in. Fathers, we come before you. We thank you so much. These are always very humbling passages. Father, all your word is because we're not holy as we ought to be because you are holy, holy, holy. But especially these things as they are instructive to us, all these things written, even in the Old Testament, are your word. Father, give us wisdom today. May the, may the, the words that I say be the words that you would have said. Father, may the things we hear, the things we do be applicable to our lives. May it not be so big picture that we miss the very things you're trying to do right in front of our very eyes and our families and our church. We pray these things today to the glory of your name, in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. Thank you, guys. So what happens when sin moves in? Well, the first thing I want you to see that God's sovereignty shines. God's sovereignty shines. And you see that there uh, at, the, at the very first part is that God's sovereignty. What is that? Sovereignty means he's in control. He's the authority, isn't he? He's, he's the one in charge. And even in, in verse 1, you see Ezekiel says, I looked and on the expanse was over the heads of the cherubim something like a sapphire in appearance like a throne. So it's, you know, Ezekiel had to have nightmares at times, I'm sure, because these visions are so detailed. They really make you think. But somehow in midair over these angelic beings, remember the cherubim are angelic beings, beings, and these are ones that are closest to God's throne. There's the guardian of God's holiness. And in doing so, they're surrounding this throne. It's a sapphire throne. And a sapphire is blue in color. It's a radiant blue. Not Kansas City Royal Baseball blue, right? But a little bit better than that. In fact, eternally better than that. But there's a throne. And this throne is the very throne of God. It's the throne that before time and creation and Genesis day one in the beginning stuff, God said, let there be, and it was. It's the throne he planned your salvation on if you've come to know Jesus Christ. It's the throne that he looked through all of time and knew everything you're going through would pass through his hands first. It's that same throne. And it's that same throne he's still ruling on right now. It's not 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. And pray for your president and your elected leaders as God instructs us. But it's not those folks who are on the throne. It's God Almighty, and he will always be on the throne. Can you imagine the scene of what Ezekiel was facing? He was facing a country in turmoil. He was facing a country who was okay like a, like, like a you know, you put a frog in a pot. You know that old illustration, don't you? in a pot of water, and you start turning up the heat, what happens to that frog? It stays in there. He's happy. He's great until croak. He's, you know, it's, it's done. And so too was Israel. God's sovereign throne was shining brightly, but they tried to dim it with everything they had. And that's why if you don't believe that God is sovereign, you have every reason to worry about tomorrow. Look, we as Christians love to talk about God is in control, God is in control, God is in control. But I can speak from my own struggles with this. Often we don't believe that at the most practical levels, do we? 
God, you can plan all eternity, but I'm not sure you can help me with my family. God, you can do these great and mighty works, but you know what? God, I'm not sure I can trust you with that because I think I got this and you don't. But Ezekiel sees a throne. And I want to remind you, this is the same throne in Revelation that all of us will stand before someday. In Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15, John sees all creation running from the presence of the one seated on the throne. Running. Can you imagine the strongest angelic beings are going the opposite way, yet there are still people who say, well, I'm going to tell God my peace of mind. Oh, really? Let me know how that goes for you. He sees a throne. And this is the reference point of all history. It is his right to rule. Psalm 103, 19, the Lord has established his throne. His sovereignty rules over all. Revelation 4, verse 2, behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and there was one seated on it. Look, when you get to heaven someday, I don't know if you're going to have your pets there, okay? Can we just burst that bubble? I don't know if there's 120 Dalmatians or one. I don't know. And if anyone tells you yay or nay, we really don't know. I don't know if you're going to recognize everyone the way you think you recognize them now right away. We don't really have those details. But one detail we do have is that when you die, you go straight into the presence of the one seated on the throne. Your focus is not, hey, there's Joe Bob. Hey, there's Sally Sue. It's him. That's it. And before God brings the hammer down again, he had to show Ezekiel, my sovereignty shines. Even when sin moves in, I got this. I don't like sin, Ezekiel. I'm not saying to sin, Ezekiel. I'm not encouraging it. But you need to remember, despite it, I've got you. Despite it, I've got my people. Despite it, I will still move heaven and earth forward with all that I am going to do. Charles Spurgeon said, opposition to divine sovereignty is atheism. Men have no problem with a God that is no God at all, and how true that is. And you see there in verse 2, he takes it a little bit further. He says, he spoke to a man clothed in linen. Well, And Pastor Nelson elaborated on this, and we won't spend a lot of time here from last week. But he said to the man clothed in linen, who is this man? It's, it's probably it's a, it's some type of angel. It, it, we, we don't know exactly. But he said, God said to the man, the angel clothed in linen, go in among the whirling wheels underneath the cherubim, fill your hands with burning coals from between the cherubim, and scatter them over the city. What is he doing? God is preparing the fires of judgment. In his sovereignty, he's going to reach out, and it's symbolic that the wrath of God is coming. In 2 Kings, they burned the city down in Jerusalem to the final ashes, we're told. And what we need to remember, guys, is that even despite all the sin in this world and the craziness that's coming, everything stands up before a sovereign God. Every ruler who has been wicked, every boss that was dishonest, every parent that should be thrown in jail but somehow skirted the system that's not doing things right, every wrong that you've done wrong to someone else and I've done wrong will be righted on that day because he is on his throne. And that's good news for you because you don't have to worry about where you spend eternity because the one who rules all authority with all authority is the same one who saved you with all authority. Do you remember Ezekiel saw the same vision in chapter 1? Do you remember this? He saw the same vision pretty much in chapter 1. All he says is binding to us. He speaks, we listen, we are just here to do his bidding. That's the first thing. When sin moves in, God's sovereignty shines. I want you to see a second one. This is our longer point here. 
But when, God, when, when, when sin moves in, God's servants succeed. We win. And we win because, and I'll just put these up there, but we win first off because God's presence is with us. Notice that in verse 3, God's presence is with us. He not only rules from the throne, but he's there among us. Look at verse 3. It says the cherubim. Again, the cherubim are the highest order of the angelic beings. These aren't from that 1990 show, Touched by an Angel type thing. That's just Hollywood. This is God ruling through his highest created beings in the angel realm, if that's what you want to say. But it says in verse 3, he goes on to say that now the cherubim were standing on the south side of the house when the man went in and the cloud filled the inner court. What is the cloud? What is this cloud? Is it a Midwestern thunderstorm we're getting ready to get in the season of? No. This is the Shekinah glory of God. This is the ultimate presence of God. The same glory that led Israel in the desert. Do you remember that? When they went out of Israel or out of Egypt, there was a cloud that was among them, and everywhere the cloud went, the people went. Do you remember around the Red Sea when Pharaoh's army was closing in on them, there was a, a, a cloud that confused Pharaoh and blocked them from getting to the Israelites? It's the same cloud of glory that filled the dedication of the temple under King Solomon. Do you remember that? God's presence is with them. They will win when sin enters in because God's presence is with them. Oh, how we forget that, don't we? God, I'm not sure I can talk to this person about the gospel because I don't know if I have the right words or the right training. We just forget often, don't we, that God is among us and He is there. But it says in verse 4 that the glory of the Lord went up to the threshold. It went up and is now being withdrawn from the temple. And there was a brightness there. You notice that word in verse 4. I'm not sure what your translation has there, but the glory of the Lord went up, and there, there was, it was filled with the brightness of the glory of the Lord towards the end of the verse. This brightness is the, is the overwhelmingness of God. Uh, Taylor read this in the reading, but 1 John 1, 5, God is light, and in him there is no what? Darkness at all. He is there among them, and he is leading them. It would be easier to walk on the sun our sun, you know, the one that shines out here miles away, than to go into the presence of God as he is and we are. We would burn up instantly. But yet, isn't that the pride of people? So many people say, I'm just going to walk up to God and say, hey, God, why did this happen in my life? Hey, God, I don't need you. Hey, God, you would have more. It would be like putting a wax figurine in front of a blast furnace is about how much chance you have to stand before the presence of God. It's like Home Alone. That's my generation's movie, by the way. Home Alone. If you've ever seen that before, little uh, Macaulay Col McCulkin, I think is his name, put little wax figurines in that thing in front of his furnace because he was afraid of the furnace. And when the furnace came on, it melted those fat wax figurines away. So too is anyone who messes with the glory of God. What an awesome God we have. The gates of hell will never prevail against the church because God is on his sovereign throne and his servants succeed. But look at verse 5. I love this. Look at verse 5. He goes in, and, and he sees all this, but verse 5 tells us he heard the sound of wings. Did you ever hear that or see that? And the sound of wings of the cherubim was like the mighty voice of God. Whoa. We have a, how many of y'all sleep with a box fan at night? You got to have that white noise. Is anyone afraid to admit that? You got three hands up. We do. Our, we started doing it with our kids. It doesn't mean they go to sleep, but it, it at least deafens the noise sometimes when one's crying, and you know how it goes. But this is like they're revving up their motors before the, the Daytona 500. Rawr, 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 you know, they're doing that. They are, it's getting ready to launch. 
God's getting ready to leave, but he reminds them that he is with them. Then look at the second part here, is that they win not only because his presence is with them, they succeed, but they also win because they are being obedient to his will. Look at verse 6. God commanded the man in linen, take the fire between the whirling wheels from between the cherubim, and he went in and stood behind a wheel. Now, these wheels, if you recall from chapter 1, if it's been a while, these wheels are perfectly entwined together. We have, some, we have a couple engineers in our midst today, and I, I don't know how you guys do it anyway, but these wheels are perfectly in line. They're perfectly made. They make Detroit or wherever we make cars nowadays look pretty silly in their designs because this shows that God's glory is nothing to be matched, and the way he dispenses it is nothing that can be taken away. But these guys, they follow exactly what he says. Notice it says they commanded the man. The man didn't buck at it. God, well, God, how's this going to work? Or, God, I, I don't believe that you can do this. They succeeded because they listened. They won because they trusted the one who was on the throne. How often do we not do that, guys? When God says, hey, you know what, go do this. You're just like, yeah, God, I don't think that's really going to work out the way you think it's going to work out. Ever had that talk with God before? Hey, God, you know, I, God, I've been working at this job for a long time, and I'm telling you, if you do it that way, yeah, that's not going to make quota. That, the quality control is going to get a sneak of that, God. This isn't going to work. But yet these angelic beings never question. Why is it that those things in creation, God can look at the waves and say, you come no further, stop right here. God can look at the stars and say, you shine up there until I tell you to shine. But when he looks at us and we look at him and he says, do this, we say, no. Everything else obeys. But yet we as stubborn people sometimes don't. God blesses obedience. Friend, I don't know what it is that God's instructed you to do, and it may just be simply following the word. It, it, I hope it is. What is it that he's instructed you to do? You will succeed the moment you are blessed to obey. But notice verses 7 and 8. He said, And the cherub stretched out his hand. That's one angel. And the angel stretched out his hand from between the cherubim, the multiple angels, to the fire that was between them. And he put it in the hands of the man clothed in linen, who took it out, and the cherub appeared to have the form of a human hand. They have wings to fly. They have wings to cover their feet. And apparently they have hands as well. They do the work of God and are equipped by God and they're ready to move forward at his bidding. They're not only successful because God's presence is with them and that they obey, but number three, they are successful because God's providence unifies them. Did you see how amazing this is? Our son loves wheels uh, he's always loved wheels and, and gears and things that go. Many of y'all are like that. The world of wheels was a couple weeks ago, Peg. And, you know, it's a car show down at Barta Hall this weekend. We love things that move. You ever watched one of those, um, you know, down at Science City or some of those big contraptions? And it's just amazing. Our kids like the train displays because, you know, all these parts are connected and one thing moves here. It's pretty cool stuff. Well, watch this. Look at verse 9. He says, and I looked, and behold, there were four wheels beside the cherubim, one beside each cherub or each angel, and the appearance of the wheels was like sparkling burl. I want you to know this is like an engine. These angels are working together, together. They're unified. They're precise and intermeshed together because the operation of God is taking them wherever he wants to go. All is good, and it's connected. 
you know, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm hooking up cords to things, it's hard to remember this cord goes to this cord and this cord goes to this cord, and then you try and it doesn't work, and then you're like, how does this, how does this work? Some, if Nelson were here, he could tell you he's crawled in this attic more times than enough to get all these things to work. But sometimes things don't work. But right here, they are succeeding because God has unified all these angels together. It's not one angel saying, you know, I'm just going to do my thing over here. And the other angel's like, yeah, God, I got this. I'm going to do my No, they're unified together. Even evil, sin, Satan, and demons coming against them, they're fulfilling the one plan of God. Church, may that be us at Tower View Baptist Church. May we be known as a such unified church that no matter who comes against us or what comes against us, our trust is not in us, it's in Him. Do you pray for the unity of Tower View Baptist Church? Brother Dave, I'm going to pick on you for a minute. I'm just picking on names. Dave prays every Sunday that we're together. He prays that God would unify us, not around, I think, as a program or a plan, but around Christ. Church, when sin moved in the camp, God was moving these angels forward in perfect unity. May that be us as well. Verse 11, when they, the four cherubim guarding the four wheels that's hovering in midair, if you're keeping track, went in any of the four directions without turning as they went. Doesn't that sound funny? I tried to picture this in my mind, but they're literally just going together. It's just, it's, it's the best illustration I could come up with in my little pea brain mind, and I'm not musical, so bear with me. If you've ever watched a collegiate, a collegiate or high school marching band, like the really, really good ones, you know what I mean? Like some of y'all are like me, you can't clap on a two beat, it's two beats and you're like 2.25, you know, you're always a clap behind the clap. But if you've ever watched a symphony or an orchestra or a marching band and gotten the bird's eye view of it and see how every part has to move perfectly in one direction, it's a thing of beauty. And they're doing that while they're playing and breathing and marching. That's quite a thing. Most of us can't even pat our heads and do our bellies at the same, pat our heads and rub our bellies at the same time. I want you to know, and I'm not going to go through all the detail of this, but I want you to know that this picture from verses 9 to 14 is basically this. They are walking hand in hand, obeying God. He's sovereign on his throne. His presence is with them. They are so unified. They know sin has come in. They don't want to have anything to be a part of it. So they say to God, God, I'm going to follow you no matter what. Well, but these are angels. Yes, they are. These are angels. But guess what? Angels also had the right to rebel, didn't they? You remember when that happened? Some of me, I think Leon was alive back in those days, but uh, I'm just messing with Leon. But do you remember when that happened? Satan took a third of the angels or half the angels with him, didn't he? And they rebelled. But you don't see that here. These angels said, God, whatever it is, we're going to go do it. So he, they're perfectly unified. It's a whole body, verse 12, of, ro- of rims, spokes, and all these things. And, and, and you know that they stand in close proximity to the Lord. They're the guardians of His glory. They're going to do all these things. These are whirling wheels. But you get to verse 14, and it gets a little funny. Do you read those four faces, isn't that a little weird? Back in chapter 1, we talked through this, but it says in verse 14, there, was a, there, was a, there were eyes all around. There was a face of a, a, a cherub, an angel. There was a face of a human, a face of a lion, and a face of an eagle. That's the stuff that gives you the eebie-jeebies at night, doesn't it? But here it is. 
Because of the noise in the air, they're rolling and, and, and going around and around, but it shows the many different traits God has given them. They're not plucking harps. They're not eating grapes. These are not people who've become angels. These are courageous and conquering angels because they follow God wherever he goes. Finally, though, their victory is assured. Look at verses 15 to 17. They succeed because their victory is assured. Verse 15. And he goes on to say, And the cherub mounted up. These were the living creatures I saw by the Chebar Canal, chapter 1. And when the cherubim went, the wheels went beside them. And when the cherubim lifted up their wings to mount from the earth, the wheels did not turn from beside them. When they stood still, these stood still. And when they mounted up, these mounted up. Why are they victorious? He tells you, for the spirit of the living creatures was within them. They were victorious because God was with them. They were victorious because the spirit was with them. Do you know there are churches today that God has not visited in so many years because things have become more important than God himself? But Darren, God is omnipresent, right? He's everywhere. Yes, he is. But just because he's everywhere does not mean he's blessing everything. Parents, you have eyes in the back of your head, we say, don't you? But that doesn't mean you bless everything that goes on behind your head, do you? God in his eternal wisdom has said they will be victorious because my spirit is with them. Look, church, if we want to be faithful to the word, we have to remember we can do nothing apart from God's spirit. We can fill this baptistry very, very quick with people who say, yeah, I want to go to heaven because they want to get out of hell. And there is a difference, isn't there? Just to get people to go to heaven, to check a list, to get them baptized does not mean they are saved. They might have jumped through a religious hoop, but it's very seldom that they've actually come to know Jesus Christ. Our victory is assured because God is with us. His Spirit is with us. And if you're a Christian, let me remind you, the Spirit of God is always with you. You can grieve the Spirit, Ephesians 4.30. Uh, you can do, as, as our brother said, you can, you can kind of distance him off. But if you're truly saved, the Spirit is with you at all times. You can try and silence him, but he's going to come back in power. Every Christian is like a dog on a leash. Can I say that? Myself included. I'm not a big dog fan. I'm a cat guy. My wife's trying to convince us to get two of them. So uh, um, if I'm not here, you know why. So, But every Christian is like a dog on a leash. Those leashes that allow the dog to go out to a certain point and bring it back in, the, 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 the retractable leashes. God has set every Christian, according to Hebrews 12 up, with a, with a collar, so to speak. And God will let you run out there with your sin for a little bit. But because you're one of his, he's eventually going to go like this and pull you back in. If he doesn't pull you back in, that ought to show that you never knew him. That's Romans chapter 1. We looked at that in Sunday school this morning. God will give you up to your sin. But they had victory assured because the Spirit was with them. All right. Even when sin moves in, God's sovereignty shines. God's servants succeed. But I want to show you, and this is kind of the sad part here. Verse 18, God's splendor succeeds, it exits, it gets out of town. Look at verse 18. God's sovereignty has shown that he's going to be in charge. That doesn't mean God stays. Verse 18, then the glory of the Lord went out from the threshold of the house and stood over the cherubim, and the cherubim lifted up the wings and mounted up from the earth before my eyes as they went out with the wheels beside them. And they stood at the entrance of the east gate of the house of the Lord, and the glory of the Israel was with them. I don't know if you can get this picture. 
It's almost like if you were walking out of the sanctuary and you kind of stand at the door and you take one more look back and you pause and you stop. But you know what you have to do. You have to walk out there. I do not want to make this about us. The Bible doesn't always speak to these situations, but some of you have been in life situations where you've had to do that with other family members or friends. Because of choices being made, you've had to walk out that door. And you take a deep breath. And you pause. And you look back. You gather yourself up. And you keep on walking. This is a picture, humanly speaking, of what God just did. God's glory just left the temple. He mounted up. And that word is intentional. The cherubim and the wheels are moving along. They're moving along, but for a split second, it stops. And we don't have the details, but it's almost as if God looked one last time in grief and sorrow and sadness back at his people, and he went on. How sad. Because the people who are being led by other people said, you know what, you're good. Spiritually, you're good. Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Friends, when that happens to a church, we have long since lost the power of God. We have colleges among our ranks today who used to be known for their godliness, who are now known for their worldliness. And this goes back hundreds of years. Princeton University has on its uh, um, main chapel as you walk in, the truth will set you free. John eight thirty two. Jesus said the truth will set you free. The last time I checked, Princeton hadn't worshipped the Lord God in years. Actually, I have several close friends who are now serving in very liberal churches because they have been ordained to the ministry by their divinity school there. My alma mater, which I'm on Facebook, you can look up what that is later. It's up the road here. Uh, I probably should give it away. Decided that the Bible wasn't worth keeping around. And it left the faith long, long time ago. Some of us in this room were graduated from there. We have other schools in our state right now who are deciding whether or not we believe the Bible is actually true. Don't think just because historically a church or a school or a denomination has held the Word of God that they still do today. God, in some sense, is going to mount up, pause, look back, and there it is. How sad. Tori, you can put up number three. Guys, I pray that never happens to Tower View Baptist Church. We have sin in our camp. Did you know that? Because we are sinners. But may our church never get to the place or the point where God says, I can't bless you guys because you're so far gone. I may not be here forever. You may not be in this church forever, but some of y'all are going to be here forever. I think that's just God's lot of life for you, and that's okay. That's a good thing. But if you are here and you're here and you stay here, you make sure that God's glory is what is in this church, not sin. This is why we do church discipline. This is why we try our best to instruct. And look, if you are wanting to leave this church, can I just give you a practical wisdom of advice? Come talk to us. Even if this is not the place for you, we want to shepherd you to a place that you may grow and flourish, and that's our goal. What we don't want to see is people get mad over something and leave because they didn't have any resolution here. May God be glorified, even in our unity. Tori, you can put up the last little phrase there. God will honor the church that honors Christ. 
but will abandon the church that abandons him. We live in a day and an age where you can't just trust the name of the church on the building. A very famous pastor out of Charlotte, North Carolina, whose muscles are bigger than his theology this past week, was quoted in a sermon. Uh, and a very simple thing is basically he, he was quoted very clearly as saying that God took a different form in when he came down to earth. Well, guys, if God took on a different form, he said that Jesus became the Holy Spirit. That ought to shock you. That's called blasphemy. But he said, if God can change, why can't you change? That was his application point. Don't, don't do that. Be careful what you listen to. Be careful who you listen to. Guys, check everything I say against the Bible. Check everything Pastor Nelson says. Anybody in here who teaches, check us against the Bible. We don't want the blessing of God to leave this place. Do you agree with that? May God be glorified. We'll close with this. Just four quick things, and Tori will put these out. I think they're all up there. Just some faith lessons. I just want to be clear on this. God will not share his glory with anyone else. Churches, we are building through, and, 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 and we have Easter coming up, and we've got to get a timeline on this, but we've shared before we had a very generous gift to remodel our, our, our nursery area, and, and plans are moving that way. I want to give you some updates on that, some updates on some further things. We'll, we'll get there. But I want to let you know that as we revamp this physically, May, may that stir us spiritually. If this is the best-looking place we could ever money could buy, it doesn't mean anything if God's glory is not here. May in every detail God be glorified. And thank you for those workers who are making that happen. Thank you so much. Second thing I want to remind you of, if you're a Christian, you cannot lose your salvation. Amen? That's great news. You didn't, keep, you didn't earn it to begin with, and you don't lose it. If you can lose your salvation, God is a whimsical God, and that's crazy. I love him today, I love him not. I love him today, I love him not. That's a love-hate relationship. God does not have that. If you're in, you're in. But if you're truly in, you're going to walk in a way that pleases him. And that's what the scripture says. If you're here today, if you're watching on Facebook, how easy it is, thirdly, to be religious but be lost. It is so easy to be religious. We are in, we don't celebrate it here formally. We are in the Lenten season. The Lent season, Lenten is the plural there. A lot of people do a lot of things during this time of year to be religious, to get closer to God. That's not all bad. But where are you the rest of the year? A true Christian will walk with Christ even when things aren't favorable. If you do not know Jesus Christ, please talk to us. We want to teach you about how he's the only way to salvation. And I said it before, lastly, it matters what you believe and where you go to church. But Darren, my family won't go to another church because they teach the Bible there. But this other church over here, we know they don't believe everything, but, 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 my, but my family will go there. You don't go there. Friends, it is getting narrower and narrower and narrower, a church that you can trust. We don't have the corner on the market. There are a lot of faithful preaching churches, and we have about 52 of them here in our association. Praise God for that. But be careful. Some of our brothers we sent out to smaller communities in Nebraska and Oklahoma will be the first to tell you that their uh, island, they're an oasis in, in a vast sea of, of religiosity, but not a lot of gospel preaching. May God be glorified. We love you all. God is on his throne. Amen.
We win even when things go bad, and even when God leaves a church, God can restore it. Can I tell you, we close about, this is the sad part, we close about nine, rather about 900 churches a, a, a year, I think, sure, about 900 a year of our Southern Baptist Church is closed, but about 1,500 a year are being revitalized, replanted, and restarted. Awesome news. That's a plus of 600, guys. That's good news. Pray for your churches. There's good work going on. God is good. Let's close in prayer, shall we? Let's, as we get ready to exit. Father, thank you so much. Lord, these are times.